Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for the victory we have in Jesus. And we thank You for the fact that we can, as Your saved people, worship and glorify You. <clears throat> we thank You, Lord, for the testimony we've heard in song tonight. We thank You for how it speaks to our hearts and touches our soul. We thank You for the blessed Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us. And now we ask that as we open Your Word, as here we are in this midweek time, we bring all of our burdens, all of our needs. And this room is filled uh, with all kinds of <clears throat> challenges and struggles. That is part of what You've given us so that we might learn to trust You. And so we ask that tonight the Holy Spirit of God would be our teacher. <clears throat> May we live in the urgency of the times. May we see <clears throat> and be burdened about our opportunities to share the Gospel with our friends and neighbors, <clears throat> how short the time is, and You are near. So we pray, Lord, that we might be faithful as a church and You might be pleased with what we do. We pray for all of our people who are gathered all over the <clears throat> campus tonight, uh, carrying out their ministries and their work and opening the Word of God and singing and worshiping and praying. <clears throat> we thank You for uh, Your work in this place. So now, revive our hearts and give us each something from Your Word tonight that would go with us, help us as we seek to follow You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, good evening. We're in Exodus chapter 19 tonight. And uh, if you're with us tonight and if you're joining us online, God bless you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, these are, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the book of Exodus. <clears throat> It is prior to the most famous, perhaps, of these chapters in the book of Exodus, the giving of the law of God. But tonight we look at uh, Exodus 19. <clears throat> We're going to just work through it. Uh, it I'll, just, I'll work through it with you as we read it. I won't take the time to read it ahead of time. So some of you won't, uh, who've not been with us, you may not be familiar with where we are, but just follow along, you'll catch up. The book of Exodus is the story of God saving Israel. It is the story of God saving Israel. And I've said this to all of you before. Had God not saved Israel, had God not saved Israel, we would not have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, because coming from uh, the, 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 is, the nation of Israel comes the Lord Jesus. And so this is very important for all of us to know. There are parallels, there are principles from these words that help us to understand what it means for us to be saved. But first we look at the history of it, we look at what happened to Israel, and we learn from that. So that's why sometimes I'll outline this in the way I do, just so that you can see the pattern of what happens, and it gives you some way to take hold of this story. The focus around which I'll talk tonight is this, that Israel hears from God at the mountain of God. Israel hears from God at the mountain of God. And I could have said, Israel worships God at the mountain of God. All of this has been taking place. So we read uh, Exodus 19.1. Notice the detail. Notice the detail in your Bible. Every word matters. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, three months after they crossed the Red Sea, uh, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they were delivered and they were, they, 
as soon as they were saved from Egypt, they went into the wilderness. What a strange way for God to save His people. Notice he says here, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, verse 2, and when they set out from Rephidim, that's where they've just been, at Rephidim, that's back over in your Bible in chapter 17, the amazing story of Moses hitting the rock and out of the rock poured massive amounts of water that fed over two million people. This is an incredible thing. And all the animals. And at the same time at Rephidim, this place Rephidim, they fought the enemy uh, Amalek, and that's also in uh, Exodus 17, and they, and they endured. They, they were victorious. Moses, you remember, stood on the hillside and raised the staff of God, and as long as he kept the staff up, there was victory. When his hands fell down, and so his helpers came. God brought helpers to help Moses carry out his work. Then we come uh, last. Then we saw that the, the chapter eighteen is the story of of uh, Moses listening to advice, wise counsel. I hope that you listen to wise counsel. I hope that you pay attention not only to the word of God, but to those who God brings in your life, who will give you wise counsel, so that you might know how to live and honor and glorify God. Well, Moses took the counsel of his father-in-law. But then we're back to it. In the third month after the son, he, he says goodbye to his father-in-law, uh, 1827. And now 19 verse 1, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. You've been saved and you think, why am I going through what I'm going? I thought if I got saved, everything would be great. I'd never have a bad day. I'd never have a problem. I'd never have a struggle. Well... Someone hasn't taught you the truth of God's Word very well. We are saved and we are continually saved and we will be saved until we finally find our way to heaven. So they set out from Rephidim, this is a description, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And notice the word, and they camped in the wilderness. <clears throat> Everywhere they went, now they have no permanent homes. They've been saved by God, they're in a wilderness. Uh, and they're camping all the way along. They're camping. A lot of you camp. Some of you are really love to camp. John Roy loves to camp. He likes to take people out and trick them when he goes camping with them. He's a camper. Some of you are campers and you really like it. Others, you put your family in the camp and you go to the hotel. That's what you do. And that's the way. But camping... You don't have all the conveniences of home. You don't have your permanent residence. You, you have to take along with you all of the things you're going to need. So these, these Jews who looked a lot like Egyptians, remember this is three months after, after 20 generations, 400 years in Egypt. They, had a lot, they looked a lot like Egyptians. They looked like Egyptian Jews. After three months... They camp in the wilderness. Is this what it means to be saved by God? Is this what God has done for us? Well, then we read these tremendous words. And there, in, as they camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in the front of the mountain. Now I'm going to take you back, and if you have your Bible open, I want you to see this great promise. Now a promise that was made to Moses at the burning bush when he was given his mission is fulfilled. Go back and read with me Exodus chapter 3, 
Uh, and we read beginning in verse number 10, Exodus 3.10. This is what God says to Moses, Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Twelve is the verse. Notice this great promise and prophecy that's now being fulfilled. He said, God said, Certainly I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now here we are. Here we are. After their after Passover, after being delivered from the Egyptians, after having been provided with their needs, manna, they're still eating heavenly food, they're eating it every day except on the Sabbath, uh, their water has been provided for them, and meat from the air. God has provided for them, He's saved them, He's provided for them, but He's led them into the wilderness, and now He's delivered them from their enemy, Amalek, and now they've kept the Sabbath, and now they are at the mountain of God about to worship. You see, there's so much for us to understand about this. You know you're camping really spiritually in your life right now. You know that, don't you? You're a camper. You're a camper for God. Your, your home is not here. On Sundays is what I'm trying to talk to the church about. We've got to refocus our minds around what, what is our relationship to the world. It's become a real issue for us in the church. Uh, we, we have to get our minds back around this about what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus in the world where you're a camper. You're camping in this world on your way on a journey to heaven. You are on a journey. The Holy Spirit of God is leading you through that. You might own a residence and you might have properties and you might have other things. Those things will be someone else's when you're gone until the Lord finally comes and this earth is dissolved and goes away and a new heaven and a new earth come. Israel camps in the front of the mountain and they're at the mountain to worship God. So here's my point to you, my dear friends. God saved Israel, this is really important, and brings them out to a place alone with Him with no distractions so that He might meet with them, and they might meet with Him, and that they might worship and honor and glorify God. You and I were saved, not just, you know, why was I saved? Well, to go to heaven. Great. That's, that's good. But we're saved to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Did you know worshiping God is enjoying God? It is the enjoyment of God. It is the pleasure in knowing Him, and it is what we hear over and over in God's Word. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. What we have here is, this is a chapter filled with the awesome majesty and glory of God. But listen, one of the greatest marks of the majesty and glory of God is His love with His people. And in this chapter, I see the great, glorious, magnificent, majestic love of God in so many ways. And I hope that I can express that to you tonight. They camped in the wilderness, and now they're camping in front of the mountain of God. 
We don't have the elevation. We don't know the size. We Many of us have seen and looked at pictures. Maybe some of you have been to the Sinai, uh, a, a wilderness place, a desolate place with just massive rock formations and mountains that rise up, you know, 10, 12,000 feet, some of them. So we have this mountain. He saves Israel and leads them to worship God. They've gone through all of this for three months now to come to worship. I'm, I'm trying to bring you back to this. You were saved to glorify God and worship Him and to enjoy your relationship with Him. I hope you know how to do that. If you do not, it is our task as a church to help you learn as a follower of Jesus what it means to enjoy God. And so here we see the emotions of Israel. It's quite different. But yet we learn much about God's love for us and His desire. And right here we see His love for Israel. We see the great love of God for Israel. So we, we notice here, Moses then meets with God on the mountain. They're at the front of the mountain. Israel is there. Verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. Please notice the next two verses, uh, next three verses, they're precious. In these words, we see Moses again describing to, describing to Moses the prophet of God for the people of God what he's to say about God's love and care for them. Look at this precious, these words. God speaks to him from the mountain and he says, uh, You yourselves, this is what you say to Israel. Thus says the Lord, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. They saw it. We read it. They saw all the dead Egyptians on the seashore. They were dead and they were alive. And they were on the other side of the sea. And Pharaoh was gone and his armies were gone. They were defeated. You have seen, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how, how I bore you on eagles' wings. That great phrase, you know, eagles are strong. They carry their young. It is the picture of being carried by God. This is that great phrase, I bore you, I carried you on eagle's wings, verse 4, and I brought you, look at this precious phrase, I brought you to Myself. That's what it means for us to be saved and know Jesus Christ. He brings us to Himself. He brings us into a relationship with Him. Now then, if you will indeed obey My voice, verse 5, and keep My covenant, then you shall be, look at this these precious words, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, six, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So now, now Israel is at the mountain of God and they hear the first part of Moses' sermon before they're about to worship God. Worshiping God is hearing God's Word. That's what we do when we worship. We hear God's Word. We sing praise, yes. We celebrate, yes. But we hear the Word of God. And so the Word of God now is proclaimed, is declared. So Moses, verse 7, he comes down and he calls the elders of the people and he sets before them all the words which the Lord has commanded. Moses goes and he presents these words. That's, that's, by the way, you know, I was talking about 
this thing about preaching, preachers and, and, and teachers. We hear what God has to say from His Word and we deliver it to God's people. It's not about the way you look and when you deliver it. It's what you have to say when you speak to God's people. That's what matters. Uh, that's what matters. And so Moses is truly fulfilling his task. We saw Jethro mention to him, why are you doing all this work of sitting around and having the people all come to you to solve all their problems? Get you some people to help you and they'll take care of this. And I'm convinced that this advice from Jethro helped Moses to get back to his main job, being the prophet of God and hearing from God and speaking to God's people. A lot of truth in that for preachers. Happen to be one. Pay attention to your real job, preachers, Pastor Mike. Do your job. Do your primary job. He hears from God. He hears what God has to say to him. And he speaks those words to God's people. Well, so here we see what he does. He returns and he comes back. And Moses calls the elders and he says all this to them. He says everything that God has just said. But I want you to go back to these phrases before we go on to the response of Israel. Look at the preciousness of God in how He saves a people. He carries them on eagles' wings. He brings them to Himself. Did you know that's what reconciliation with God is? Look, before you were saved, you hated God. Before you were saved, all, you were consumed with yourself. You were consumed with your own desires. All you cared about is yourself. All you cared about is fulfilling your own desires. But now you've been saved and you have been brought into a relationship with God. And even, even if you're brand new as a follower of Jesus and you don't understand it all, the Bible calls it drawing near to God and God drawing near to you. You are now a child of God. You now draw near to Him. I didn't bring my notes in here. But you know, it's, it's interesting, you, uh, some of you in here have your young children. You know how this is. So, you know, uh, Pat and I are trying to do our part to uh, help my daughter with this, this uh, sweet two-year-old we've got. Well, you know, you learn a lot about children and how they love people. They want to be with you all the time, by the way, constantly. They want you, your approval. They want to show you what they're doing. They want you to do with them what they do which is a hard thing when you have to get on the floor, but you can't get up, you have all of these challenges. You, you try to understand, they try to tell you what they're telling you. Their words don't really make sense, but they're trying to tell you something, so you just tell them stuff and they think you're telling them something. It is this deep, wonderful relationship that exists between parents and their children children and their parents. This is the beautiful picture of God our Father saving us and you have a relationship with Him. But the question is, do you desire to be with Him? Little children always want to be with the ones they love. They're going to wear you out. I know they do. I understand that. But what a compliment it is to be wearied by your children who always want to be with you. Some of you have young ones, don't worry, one day they'll try to run away from you. It'll come. But the reality is that this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be reconciled to God. He brings us to Himself. God initiates saving us and He brings us to Him. He seeks for us to have a relationship with Him and He calls Israel. He says, just obey me. 
Obey me. If you will obey me, he says. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, my agreement, my agreement with you. If we'll keep our agreement together and you'll listen to my voice, then you will be my own possession, my people. You will be my possession. You will belong to me. We belong to Him. It's always a special thing to know <coughs> excuse me, that we belong to God and it, that God belongs to us, that we have a relationship with... No, I have it right here. We have a relationship with Him. And so the reality is, He says, you shall be My own possession and you shall be a kingdom of priests. Notice, what do priests do? They worship God. They lead in worship. They participate in worship. They minister to God. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses does this, and what do the people say? They make their commitment. By the way, when you worship God, when we worship here, when we come to worship, here we are midweek in worship, you make a commitment. You don't just come in here to listen to Pastor Mike say some words. You hear the Word of God and you say, I will do it. You are a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. Worship is not fulfilled or finished or completed unless we say, here it is, it's right here. I, we will do what the Lord has said. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. So when we open the Word of God on our own and we have private worship, when you do that alone with God and you meet God and you open the Word of God, you must say, I've read these words, I've heard these words now, I will do what these words say. I will present myself to God, I will prepare myself, and I will do, I will do what the Word of God says. I love that phrase from Israel. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back these words of the people to the Lord. So what does Moses do? Just like we do. We pray and we speak to God as leaders about our people. Here's their response. Here's what they're doing. Lord, here's what they've said. This is, this is that beautiful picture of the people, Moses, and God. The prophet and the people and God in relationship and how this works. This is the first time now that we have described in the book of Exodus worship. We're going to see a whole lot more elaborate truths about worshiping God as we get toward the end of the book of Exodus. We if you're in here with me, we have a long way to go. Just like Exodus took a while to take place. The reality is that now Israel responds. I'm asking you, when you hear the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, do you leave it by saying, I will do this. I will do what I've read. I will obey it. And then do you say, I will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what happens to us, doesn't it? Uh, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the children of God. We have the Holy Spirit to help us understand God's Word and to help us obey it. Well, now Moses again returns to the mountain. By the way, there are seven times in the book of Exodus, and I'll try to record them sometime. I didn't do it this week. There are seven times <clears throat> where Moses <coughs> excuse me, ascends to the mountain and descends. He ascends and he descends seven times. So there are seven ascensions and, descent, and dis, coming back dissensions from the mountain by Moses to God's people in the book of Exodus. All of them are very important because in each one of them, Moses hears from God and then goes to do what God has called him to do. 
He reminds us of the preciousness and the glory of our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a picture of that. He is an example of that. He is uh, this mediator, this one who speaks on behalf of God to the people. Oh, there's no one who spoke more about the glory of God and who has revealed to us more about God than Jesus Christ. But let's go on. Moses goes back now to the mountain. So all the people have said, whatever the Lord says, we'll do it. So the Lord says to Moses, Moses comes back, and now verse 9, Behold, I will, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words to the people of the Lord. So the Lord's going to come in a thick cloud. How is God, now they're going to experience something they've never quite seen before. They are camped in front of the mountain of God and they are now to prepare to meet and be experience the presence of God like they have never experienced it. They've seen the work of God. They've had the cloud by day, the fire by night, the pillar of cloud. They've had these experiences not quite understanding them, but now they're at the mountain of God and now they are about to meet with God. When we worship God, we come. What did the Lord say? Those who worship the Lord worship in spirit and in truth. We meet God in worship and the Holy Spirit of God meets us as we worship. And it speaks to our spirit and it churns and stirs our emotions. And we are changed and it affects our will and our desires. This is a very important, very important principle. All of these things are happening as we worship God. So here we see, Behold, I will come in a thick cloud, verse 9, so the people will hear when I speak with you, and may also, notice this, believe in you forever. Number one, God is going to speak in order to affirm that Moses is his messenger and his prophet. Then he goes on and says, The Lord also said to Moses, 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on, the, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So then he calls also for Moses to prepare the people to worship God. I want to ask you tonight, do you prepare when you come to worship? Or do you just roll in out of everyday life, all the rest? You know, when I was a kid, my mother, God rest her soul, you know, it was, she was a small lady, but we were all scared of her. She was very scary person when she was mad. And the, the problem was that some of us were outside people uh, and didn't like to be inside. And we came to the table, I came to the table, not always in the best condition. Dirty hands, filth all over me, dirt from head to toe, and it was clear before you're going to eat, you're going to get cleaned up. When you come to worship, when you come to meet God, when you meet with Him in your special place, as the Lord said, and you shut the door, have you cleaned yourself up as you meet with Him? Well, Moses is told, consecrate the people and tell them to wash their clothes. I don't know how long it's been over the three months since their clothes have been washed. But they were told as they were at the mountain of God, wash your clothes. Wash your garments. Verse 11, and then be ready. 
then be ready. Wash yourself up, clean yourself up for worship, and then be ready when you come. It's been interesting all of my ministry life to listen to how people talk about worship like going to the grocery store. You know, it's, it's as if the, you know, well, they didn't serve me enough of this, or I didn't have, the, the variety was this, that, or the other. It, it's, it's a, uh, or, or perhaps going to a restaurant. Worship is about being ready to meet God. Whether you're in a crowd of thousands, or whether you're with ten people or two, or by yourself. When you read your Bible and you have your private time with God, are you ready to meet God? Are you expecting to meet Him? Or has this just become a uh, perfunctory thing? You just do it because this is what you think you're supposed to do. There's no emotion to it. It's, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. You, know, you, you don't have a lot of emotion when you brush your teeth. You just stand there and brush your teeth and comb your hair and go your way. Well, i got to read my Bible today. And sometimes we do it while we're brushing our teeth. Or combing our hair. Or watching the news. Boy, that's helpful, isn't it? Now here we are. Clean yourself up. Clean the people up. And be ready. Notice. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. They are about to meet God. They are about to see God in a way they have never seen Him before. Then he talks about boundaries <coughs> in worship. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, we're still on earth and our Lord is in heaven. Paul teaches us to set our mind on things above. The Lord Jesus reminds us of His great high priestly work. The book of Hebrews talks about His glorious work in heaven, His ascended work. He's going. So as we meet God here on earth, we set our minds on things above. But there are still boundaries. We're not in heaven yet, are we? I know, I know some of you really love Dixon County, but it's not heaven. I hate to break the news to you, it's not heaven. So set bounds for the people all around and beware that you do not go on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. This is that holiness of this picture of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. You see, there are barriers. There's a separation. There's a separation between a holy God and sinful people. Clean the people up. Consecrate them so that they might come before me. And uh, then notice at uh, verse number 13. So when you hear the horn sound, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. The horn will sound. The ram's horn will blow. I don't know if you've ever heard a ram's horn. Go, go home and Google it. Let, listen to a ram's horn. When the ram's horn blows, it's the call to worship. When the ram's horn blows, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses goes down, he consecrates the people, they wash their garments, they're ready on the third day, and so now we see this glorious experience 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder lightning flashes, thick clouds upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. What a great statement. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood, they didn't sit down, they stood at the foot 
of the mountain. Can you see it in your mind? Can you see this picture? The mountain is, there's thunder, there's flashes of lightning. You know, standing out in a thunder and lightning storm is a, can be a terrifying thing. Maybe you have been camping and you've been caught in one of those. It is. Even though we know all about it scientifically, it's still a very powerful emotional thing when you're out in it. So the lightning's flashing, the thunder's here, and all of a sudden this thickness of this cloud upon the mountain comes over the mountain and there's a, a loud trumpet blowing. And this loud trumpet is blowing. And what does it do? It brings fear into the hearts and minds of God's people. With all the smoke and fire and the earthquakes, God comes in glorious presence to Israel and the people experienced a taste of the majestic glory and majesty and awesomeness of God. So Moses then, we go on, verse 18, Moses meets again. Uh, let's go on with what happens. Now Mount Sinai was on was smoke. The Lord descended in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. 19, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, listen, and God answered with thunder. You remember when the Lord was going on His way to Jerusalem up that hill and everyone was crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And those Greeks came to the disciples and said, we would see Jesus. And the Pharisees were saying, the whole world has gone to Him. And then the Lord said, Lord, glorify Yourself. And God said, in the midst of all of that noise, God spoke, I have and I will be glorified. And some thought it thundered. Some thought it thundered. Moses now speaks to God in the presence of the people, and God answers in thunder. God answers in thunder. There are no written, there, we don't have, now we're about to get to the written Word of God for the first time in Exodus 20. But now God speaks through created order in His majesty and glory, and God still speaks through created order to those who will believe. To those who want to understand in the simplest way, no matter where they be in the world, they know that these things that are in the world are created. They didn't just happen by accident. They are created and there's something behind these things. So God thunders to Moses and to the people. And then the Lord came down. And the Lord spoke to Moses and He, and, and he said, Warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze and then perish. And to the priests, consecrate themselves so that the Lord does not break out. What is this? It is the majesty and glory of God. The power and glory of God are overwhelming. They are, they are, they are of such... The majesty and glory of God can take one's life. What does, what does Isaiah describe to us in his, as he sees the glory of God? He sees angels who cover their eyes because of the holiness of God. We cannot see the glory and majesty of God. His majesty and glory is, is unseen and unknown, and yet, praise God, we have had one, the Lord Jesus, who has revealed to us the majesty and glory of God. We are... We are those, 
We are those who have been blessed far beyond Israel. We are those who are God's saved people. So the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron, verse 24, <clears throat> but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord. You see, God always has a mediator. One who goes and speaks to God on behalf of the people. And what a picture this is of the Lord Jesus. So for my time remaining, if you have the outline, what do we need to remember from this, <clears throat> this great story? There's a lot of things we can apply. I've got these eight for you tonight, and I hope they'll be a blessing to you. First of all, I've already been saying this to you, and listen to me tonight, dear brothers and sisters. God saves you so that you can become a part of God's people. You are saved not as an individual. You're saved and part of the family of God. Look, you're in this family of God's people now. Yes, we have our families of origin. We're proud of them. We know about them. We have all the stories about our families and that's all good. <clears throat> but your forever family is this family of believers here. And God's people scattered across the world who know Jesus Christ. We are now the people of God. What does Peter say? Peter is writing these words to these primarily Greek a Gentile people. He says, quoting these words, now they are for us who are believers. Look, I'm reading them to you off your sheet. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are, you Christians, you believers. Everyone here tonight who's a believer, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, <clears throat> a people for God's own possession. The church of Jesus Christ belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to us. We still have an ownership issue sometimes in the church. I'm amazed by this. When people will come and talk to me, they talk to me as if they are the owner of the church. No, no, we don't own anything. We are possessed by God. And God possesses us and the church belongs to the Lord. We are a people for God's own possession so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, you were not a people. But now you're the people of God. That's us. We were not a people. We've been gathered from all kinds of backgrounds here. We all come from all kinds of backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, language backgrounds, our families come from all kinds of places, but now we are the people of God. And you are the people of God and you've received mercy, and, uh, and so we must praise God. We didn't have mercy, now we've received it. Well, we're God's, we're God's own possession. He saves us, I want to say this again, He saves us to be with us. God took the initiative. My dear brothers and sisters, God wants to be with you. The Lord wants to meet with you. He desires fellowship. He desires relationship. This is the beauty and the sweetness, if I can use this word of, of Exodus 19, I have brought you to myself. That's a sweet thing. The sweetness of God's love. He saves us to be with us and for us to be with Him. If you love somebody, this is my point about this little two-year-old in our life. He loves us. He wants to be with us. When you love people, you want to be with them. You don't avoid them. You want to be with them. 
This is the joy of knowing God. This is the blessing of you being able to meet God in your private place to worship and also to join together with all of God's people to worship. God desires His people to know Him. I cannot give you any better verse than what the Lord prayed in John 17. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know what? The Lord's left us in this miserable wilderness place to be His people, to share the gospel like Levi was saying and praying in order to be salt and light. But while we're here, praise God, we worship and meet God and we come to know Him better. He prepares us for heaven. He prepares us for the joy of eternal enjoyment of God. So we ask, what will heaven be like? It will be eternal pleasure in the presence of God. Eternal pleasure. Not fleshly pleasure. Eternal pleasure in the presence of God. So what must we do? We must cleanse ourselves in order to hear God's Word and to worship. You know James 1.21. I know who's in here tonight. Putting aside all filthiness. We get dirty in the world. Like my mother said, go get cleaned up or you don't get to eat. Put aside all the filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility. Receive the Word implanted which is able to save your souls. It's interesting. If I'm sitting critiquing the way the Word is given to me, well, he should have said that. Well, they should have mentioned that. Well, he should have given that illustration. Well, I would have done that better. Okay, well, right now you're not the preacher. So receive the Word of God as best the preacher can do. If the preacher's working at it, Give the preacher some credit. Hear the Word of God and receive it with humility. This was the problem with the Pharisees. They sat around critiquing the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine critiquing the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who speaks the very words of God? What arrogance! What arrogance! But it continues on for some today. If I'm going to worship God, I must come prepared and I have to clean myself up spiritually so that I am prepared to hear the Word of God, whether I'm at home reading it on my own and worshiping God. And the fear of the Lord, by the way, is the beginning of knowing God. The people trembled. In fact, in Hebrews, we have the statement in Hebrews 12 that the, the awesomeness of this glorious presence of God, manifestation of God's presence, made Moses tremble. Now that's something. Moses was shaken by the majesty and glory of God. And I will tell you this, you'll never know God until you fear God. You will never know God until you fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And believers were camping. Believers are on the way to heavenly Zion, not to Mount Sinai. Praise God. You have come to Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the myriads of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which, is, which speaks better than the blood of able believers are on the way to heavenly Zion and not to Sinai. We're on our way to heaven. We're moving together as God's people. We're camping here. We're going along the way 
And while we're in the darkness of this world and its perversions and wickedness, we try to bring others along with us. We share the gospel. We bring them along so that they can join us. Jesus Christ is the Word God sent to reveal God to us. John 1, just like Moses was declaring God's Word, no one has more declared clearly God's Word than the Lord Jesus. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We saw His glory. This is John, an eyewitness. I saw Jesus Christ and His glory when He was on the earth. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, there ought to be an awesomeness, a love, a reverence, a bowing to Him, the majesty of our Lord Jesus. He is the Word sent from God to reveal God to us. And then, let me just say again, the glory of God is revealed nowhere greater than in the Lord Jesus Christ. I quote to you from 2 Corinthians 4.6. Paul's describing this matter of God's glory and he says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, please read this last phrase carefully, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the magnificence of the glory of God, you look at the face of Jesus. You read the Gospels. You pay attention to what He said. You look at the way He conducted Himself in the world. We'll be talking about this in the weeks ahead. You know, we're to live in the world like the Lord Jesus, our Lord, lived in the world. He didn't run from the world. He lived in the world. We must learn to live in the world like the Lord Jesus. And the magnificence of His glory is all that matters to us at the end of the day. So we praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory to the glory of His grace. And I remind you again tonight, the Lord is near. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank You for being here. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example. Here is Israel at the mountain of God, worshiping God. They didn't know what to do. They didn't understand what what they should do, but they were told by God, through the man of God, how to worship and meet God. Now we know these truths. We have much more experience than these these, uh, Jewish people, these Israelites. We now have been saved, and many of us in this room teach the Word of God. We've shared it with others. We know it very well, but may you tonight speak to us about our own preparation for worship. And may we truly enjoy you and the glorious pleasure of knowing you, walking with you, sharing our hearts with You, knowing Your presence with us, the pleasures of God, the glorious pleasure of being in Your presence now teaches us the glory of what we anticipate will be forever, the pleasure of heaven. May that come to be something that takes away anything from the world that might draw us to these temporary pleasures. The joy and pleasure of knowing You and Your great love for us. You have now made us Your special people. And we thank You for it. To the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen.